Well, good morning. Nice to see you here on Canada Day weekend. I hope you did something fun. We did. We spent it with 110,000 of our closest friends downtown. You think I don't have 110,000 friends? So in, uh, those of you who know me know I couldn't keep that many friends. In, in 2010, I was serving as a youth pastor at a church in Southwest, uh, Southeast, where did I live? Southeast New Mexico. And uh, I, was, I became friends with a missions pastor, and we started to collaborate together on a number of things uh, in an effort to further mobilize our church, missionally speaking. And we, that led us to a partnership that had been going on for some time with our church, but it led us to, to sort of dig deeper into this relationship with a church planting and leadership equipping pastor who was native Venezuelan, and he lived in the northwest of Venezuela. And so basically his plan was something that he called La Toma de Yaracuy. And that mean, in Spanish, that means the invasion of Yaracuy. Now, Yaracuy is a state in the northwest of Venezuela. And the basic plan was for these 17 local pastors who had partnered together, which if you know Latin American church culture is not at all typical. There's not a lot of, of inter-church cooperation. But these 17 pastors and their small congregations partnered together, and they developed teams of missionaries, and then they added pieces, components, and other missionary teams from the United States, and they invaded the state of Yaracuy with the message of the gospel. And so over the course of July, June and July of 2011, dozens of communities in Yaracuy were, uh, were ministered to, were prayed for, and were um, even evangelized door to door. And we took a team from our church, a team of uh, 15, 18 people, and went and partnered with them to help affect that. Over the years, the churches have continued to collaborate. It didn't end with La Toma de Yaracuy. It's, it continues to go on today. And since then, they've developed some other initiatives. They developed children's ministry in a Latin American context, which previously did not exist in Venezuela anywhere. There's no such thing as children's ministry. Children's ministry is sit there, entertain the child, be quiet, while the parents attend church. They've now developed VBS, where 17 churches have reached out into the communities around them to invite hundreds, hundreds, maybe even over 1,000 now, of children to come to VBS. They've started a seminary that trains pastors. Uh, they, have, they operate a missionary training institute in San Felipe, Venezuela, uh, that trains pastors for local congregational church plants and also for placement in other countries like Brazil, elsewhere throughout Latin America and the Caribbean region. And they've held missions conferences where they've brought 750 people from around the country of Venezuela to train them, equip them for missions locally and globally. And they've even sent missions teams to Africa and the Middle East all from a country that one time only received missionaries. Now they send missionaries. And the long-term impact of La Toma de Aracuy is still being determined, uh, but there has been a deepening of cooperation between the original churches, and they continue to share the gospel, to train more pastors, to equip more missionaries. And watching it now, a little bit removed because I'm in Canada, but I still have the relationship with Jerry. We just uh, FaceTimed the other day and talked for a little while. Um, it's amazing to see how God has continued to bless their ministry and what they're working on. Uh, and it's, it's particularly amazing because God continues to bless this cooperative work between the pastors and between the churches and even added more churches to it. But I want you to understand something. I want you to know something here. It's that this blessing that they enjoy from God is because the original people that God called, just like the Lee family this morning, they said yes. They said yes, and then they, they got to work. And they didn't have it all figured out when they said yes, but they said yes. And if they continue to trust God and to follow him faithfully, then I expect that he's going to continue to bless their work 
that he has through them, that he has for them, through them. Uh, because it's his vision they caught in the first place. And it's his heart for people to know Christ that they have aligned themselves with. And so with that in mind, I want us to look at Acts chapter 1 today. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. And I, I want to spend just a few minutes considering what I think God's missionary calling is for all of us, not just for certain Christians. Um, it's for all of us. Because the book of Acts, from the beginning to the end of the book of Acts, is the story of how the Holy Spirit inspires, empowers, and then guides the followers of Jesus on his world-changing mission. And it's not reserved for just certain people. It's not reserved just for the Lees. It's not reserved just for pastors. It's for all of us, I believe. So begin reading with me, if you would, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while he, Jesus, was eating with them, the disciples... He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. We'll come back to wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, interestingly, the command here to wait for the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, he gives it in this situation over dinner. It's a repetition of a command he gave earlier in, in uh, Luke chapter 24 when he said, I'm, in verse 49, I'm going to send to you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Wait. And so why repeat the command here? There's two reasons, I think. One, I think Jesus knew that uh, in order that the Holy Spirit's coming, Number one, the Holy Spirit's coming. And number two, their baptism of or by the Holy Spirit. He knew that that was essential to the success of their mission. He knew that in order to be successful in what he was calling them to do, they needed the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if we were to continue reading in Acts chapter 2 through verse four, uh, chapter 4 today, we'd see that how this greater empowering uh, or clothing of the Holy Spirit, how through that they were able to succeed in their mission. In Acts chapter 4, verse 33, uh, which is a little bit later, it, it recounts events that took place after the Holy Spirit came. It says this about the disciples. Verse 33, And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. The great power was the Holy Spirit acting through them, who they, whom they had waited on to be fully equipped. So Jesus' instruction in Luke 24, where he, and then he restates it again here, what we're reading today in, in verse 1, to wait. It's more than obeying. It's not just about obedience. It's about being fully equipped. It's about being properly prepared for the mission he has ahead. Has, um, has God ever called you something to something and then asked you to wait to see that fulfilled? We just heard Corrine say it. That was not planned, by the way. We just heard Corrine say how God called her more than 10 years ago to Italy, to the Italian people specifically. And she's waited. She's prepared along the way, but she's waited 10 years for the fulfillment of that mission actually beginning. Wait. It's about your heart. Fernando and Emma, if you were here last week, the Sentias family, they're a, a Southridge partner family. Fernando's been an elder on our board for the last few years. Fernando and I had coffee recently. He told me how they originally came to Canada because they unquestionably, no doubt in their mind, knew that God had called them to Canada. He thought it was for business purposes and also to serve the church. They came as believers and followers of Christ. But just a few years later, they now realize that part of the reason God called them to Canada 
was to equip them and to prepare them for the mission that he was later, just now, going to lead them to and call them to go back to Mexico. And so coming to Canada was about being equipped. I have another friend who feels called strongly to participate in short-term missions, just had an opportunity to participate in a mission trip recently, had to wait because of a health issue that they're navigating. God called them. They said yes. They began to prepare to go, and now they're dealing with this health issue. God's God of all of it, right? He's God of our calling. He's Lord over the issues that we face in life. And so now they're having to wait. And it happens. It happens. And in, both, in, in all three of these examples, uh, God's... Um, the answer that the people gave to God's call, it was yes. Yes. And so now trusting him to wait through and figure out what the wait looks like can't change our commitment to yes. Yes is up front. Do you trust me? Yes. Will you go? Yes. Now what about disciples? Well, the disciples' next words in the text are a little bit curious in terms of what they thought they were hearing from Jesus. Remember in, in verse 6, he just told them that they were going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit which as I mentioned here is the, the piece of equipping them. They didn't necessarily figure that out right away, but they heard something entirely different. Look at verse six now. Uh, they, they gathered around him, Jesus, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Stay here, wait, be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Do you see how those two verses are connected? See, they didn't miss the instruction to wait. They didn't blow by that. It's that they misinterpreted something here. I think that other followers of Jesus, I know I certainly have, I think as followers of Christ at some point, we've all misinterpreted something. We've all perhaps felt called to something and only to realize later that that's not quite what God meant. In my case, um, when I was a youth pastor in Louisiana, I felt called to participate in a, in a short-term mission trip to post-war Iraq. Just a few months post-war Iraq. A pretty dangerous place at that time. Later, after much prayer much prayer, I realized I wasn't called to go. I was called to support what was going on there. In fact, none of us were called to go because it was still a military zone. It was still forbidden for civilians to be there. We weren't called to go. We were called to support the people on the ground already doing ministry in Iraq, the Christian Iraqis. And so what changed? It wasn't my calling that changed. It was um, I wasn't called to go in the first place. I had to discern that. I had to spend more time praying. Has God ever called you to do something and you only you realize later that you misinterpreted or perhaps misunderstood what first seemed so clear. And sometimes I think we think it's clear, just like the disciples did here. I think we think that we know. There's a lot of thinks there. We think that we know. But the disciples, what they did here is they took what Jesus said about wait for the clothing of the Holy Spirit, and they applied it to the situation going on around them, which was, which was Roman military rule and occupation. And so they thought that Jesus was talking about removing the Romans because the Jews, even these believing Jews, believed that at some point God was going to get rid of Roman rule and, and re-establish for Israel control over their own domestic affairs, over their own future and their own fortunes. And they believed that it would be this period of renewal would be precipitated by something. Do you know what it was? It's renewed activity of the Holy Spirit. And so now you read that passage and you go, Oh, he said, wait here for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit hasn't been active and seen in Israel in over 400 years since the time of Malachi. And so now Jesus starts talking about the coming of God's Spirit. And now they think it's, he's talking about something else. 
And likely here, whoever is speaking, we're not exactly sure, whoever is speaking here, they're likely representing the questions that every other disciple with them has. And, and it's this idea that God is going to now establish a new political theocracy, a system of government in which they might be among the leaders and Rome would be removed. And given that these are the same guys who previously argued with one another about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and who would sit at Jesus' right and who would sit at his left, it's not a far stretch to imagine how they missed his calling and perhaps heard what their tingling ears wanted to hear. God's going to restore Israel. It's not what he's talking about. Thankfully, Jesus knows this. He recognizes it. He knows that they're distracted by this idea of politics and nationalistic hope. And he draws them back gently, but he insists... In verse 7, it is not for you to know the time or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. He's referring here to the end of times. Remember those words the next time somebody says, hey, Nostradamus said this really cool thing several hundred years ago about the end of the world, or somebody points out the Mayan calendar, how the world's going to end on a particular day. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. This is Jesus' way of saying to them in that moment, guys, and maybe to us, church, Christians, that's not your concern. What is our concern? It's verse 8. Listen carefully. Because here's where the direct commission comes in. And this is, this is where I think it applies to all of us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, let's talk about that for just a minute. Because I think, I think we sometimes get this verse wrong. I think it's easy to read this verse and to immediately apply it to other people like the Lees who you met this morning already or the McCarthys who you'll meet here in a few minutes. I think that if we don't see this as Jesus' clear and specific calling and a directive to the disciples and by extension to all followers of Christ, to those of us here today who call ourselves followers of Jesus, then I think we're prone to miss our own responsibility in the gospel. And I, I think it's why as a church, I know it is, it's why as a church we've adopted in the last year or so the idea of turning outward, you've heard us say that, uh, of orienting our Christianity towards those that, towards the world and those that we know in our lives who do not know Christ. And it's why we're committed to find and to embrace our own sense of personal outward. If you hear me ask you, what's, who's your outward? I'm not talking about a thing. I'm talking about a person. And I'm proud of our church, to be honest with you. I really am because people continue to, to share stories with us. And I continue to hear testimonies from folks like the Centias who, who are responding to God's missional call on their life, uprooting their family, reestablishing themselves in Mexico whatever the case may be. Others are sharing with friends. I just heard recently of a couple of our folks who've been in the hospital. They've been actively sharing their faith with the medical staff, with visitors who come to the hospital. And it's led to some fascinating conversation and even some, some uh, coming to church, which is good. Others have, in, have uh, God has called them to, to participate in their first mission trip, and they've gone. Some invited a friend recently to attend Alpha, and they came with them. Others have allowed God to use their broken heart about a three-year-old little boy who drowned on a beach on an island in Greece. And out of their brokenness and their grief to build an entire ministry devoted to helping a refugee family find and start a new life in a safe place. Another friend has oriented uh, their entire business model around giving first to God and paying themselves last so that they can give as much as they possibly can to God's work in and through them, so that people they know will come to know Christ and place their faith in them. These are examples of things that are happening here at Southridge, 
And there's a chance, there's a good chance you're sitting in close proximity to somebody that I mentioned today. And there are other stories, and I know you can tell me more, and I love to hear them. But they're true examples, and God is blessing this type of obedience because they know that this verse applies to them. Just as much as it applied, applied to the disciples back then in that room. And they're so committed, these missionally oriented folks, they're so committed that they know there's zero wiggle room here. It is God's specific mission for them. And that's what the heart of verse 8 is. It's, it's all of our mission. Not missions, like I have a mission, you have a mission. I get that. God calls us to different people in different situations. But it's one Lord, one mission, many workers. It, it's, Jesus says it plainly here. Verse not, uh, in verse 8, uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And then in verse 9, it says that he, he immediately departed, returned to heaven, and he left the work for his disciples, for his church, for us. And the work isn't always without difficulty. I know that. I've seen that. Uh, when the Venezuelan churches began to plant La Tome de Aracui, they knew that in order to make a lasting impact for the gospel, that it was going to require God's ongoing work, his spirit's ongoing presence, continuing to work through them. Six years later, even though there is tons of ministry fruit that I could tell you about, story after story of people coming to Christ, of convicts being called to ministry and, and be, later becoming pastors, crazy things happening when God's spirit moves, there have been serious challenges. And if you've watched the news in Venezuela in the last couple of years, the military political situation is dire. The economic situation is crushing. Their currency is called the Boulevard. In 2010, the first time I made a trip to Venezuela, the Boulevard versus the U.S. dollar was four to one. Four Boulevards, one U.S. dollar. Today, it's closing in on 1,100 to one. Now, if you have any economic sense in you, you just went, what? 1,100 Boulevards to make one U.S. dollar. You don't have to be an economist to appreciate how inflation of that magnitude would raise serious concerns for the people who have to live through it. When you think about the cost of food, the availability of food, it would be alarming. The government has shut down the commercial sale and distribution of food. They've taken it over. They've implemented severe rationing. Refugees are, or minis, uh, missionaries are suffering, and the people are suffering. And understandably, the churches and missionary sending agencies are greatly concerned for the people serving in the region. Because the whole country is suffering from hyperinflation and missionaries there and probably in thousands of other examples around the globe are living through hardship. And that presents a whole other degree of challenge. And it highlights two things for us who are here. It highlights the need for us to pray and it highlights the need for us to contribute financially so that we can continue to send them. Because we don't want to just send them out well at the beginning. Um, and, and say, hey, good luck. We also want to, to support them and equip them throughout so that they can continue to fulfill the mission that God's living them, giving them over the long haul of their ministry. And so when we say yes here, when we say yes as people, yes, we will be involved in that. Yes, I'll invest my prayer. I'll invest my finances in that. When we say yes, it frees God's spirit to also work through us, whether it's praying, going, or giving. And it provides the resources that they need in order to do it. And so more spiritual fruit comes about. And there's a lesson here. There's a lesson here, and it relates to the text. It's that the vitality of the church, the vitality of the church, will always come from the presence and the activity of God's Holy Spirit. Always. Where God's Spirit is, there's growth, there's life, there's vitality. And he's invited us to be a part of this dynamic movement. He calls it the church. Uh, by investing in mission work here in Langley and around the globe. Now, 
Mel Lawrence is the former senior pastor of a church near Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and he sums up the book of Acts in two words. I don't know how great a theologian you have to be to be able to do that, but he says this, the book of Acts essentially is about ever outward. If, if we continue reading in Acts today, I think you would see that. I think you would see that the disciples very shortly after verse 8 uh, and in, in chapter 2, uh, they, they start to get it. Chapter 2 opens with the coming of the Holy Spirit, follows very shortly with their being filled with his power, and it results in their turning outward to embrace the mission that God has given them, that he's called them to. And as a result, many are healed, thousands more are saved, and the church begins to grow. And by extension, we are here today because some guys decided to turn outward, first to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so here we are. Ever outward equals spiritual fruit. And if we want our community to experience God like that, then I think we have to realize something. I think we need to realize, like the disciples did, and like the churches in Venezuela have, that in order to have this lasting and sustainable impact, it starts by saying yes. It starts by agreeing with God, embracing the Spirit's power and presence, and saying yes to the mission He's given us, to be His witnesses in Langley, in the Lower Mainland, throughout BC, and even around the globe, ever outward. And so I have three challenges for you today. Three specific challenges. Now, I, I know there's always going to be lots of things to consider where missions are concerned, where ministry calling is concerned. There's always going to be lots to consider because there's a cost for every mission and every calling from God. For the disciples, the cost meant ultimately their lives as all but John were uh, eventually martyred for their faith in Christ. And it's not likely going to be that for us, for you and me. But the same idea of personal sacrifice is true for anyone who desires to follow God's call. So the three challenges uh, that I want you to give prayerful consideration to today are this. Number one, some of us, he's probably calling to financially support a missionary. Perhaps not one that you hear today. Perhaps. But he's probably calling some of us to support missionary work. The Lees and the McCarthys are here today, if that's something you feel led on your heart, not because I'm saying it. No pressure from me, no pressure from their presence here today. But I would encourage you to pray about that because the cost of missions is expensive. And they won't say it real directly. Rob did say it. Rob, I'm proud of you. That, that took some courage. Um, but I'll say it, they, they need our financial support. And so if you feel God's call, then go see them in the foyer. I'm pretty sure they'll gladly connect you with giving options. And uh, I'm, I'm certain too, the, the second part of this is, is about prayer. I'm, I'm reasonably confident that the Lees and the McCarthys will accept any and all prayers offered to God on their behalf. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. And so perhaps your calling is to pray for them. Maybe God's calling you to, to support what Southridge is doing through Starfish in Haiti. We're building a school currently. $25,000 is what we're, we're, we're helping them to raise in order to build a school so that children can know Jesus and so that communities can be impacted. And they're here today too. They have a table in the foyer. You can see Kelly or Clint after the service. Number two is maybe you feel or you felt for some time God's call to participate in a short-term mission, uh, possibly a foreign mission trip, possibly something even uh, cross-cultural within Canada. That's the great thing about living in BC. We can participate in cross-cultural missions by walking across the street sometimes. We have three uh, foreign trips coming up in the next year. We have Haiti in October of 2016, and then again in March of 2017. And we have Mexico in July of 2017, in a year from now. If that's where God, uh, God's heart, if that's where God has your heart, then I would just ask you to do this. Pick up a Connect card, Check the box, other, write your name and your email address, and write the, the trip you're interested in, Mexico or Haiti. And I or someone from the missions team will be glad to get in touch with you, to give you more information, 
And I'll tell you this, on the back of your, your bulletin insert today, there's just a little bit of information on those three trips, what they're about and when they are. But we'd love to talk to you more about that. Finally, number three is this. Um, perhaps God's calling you to participate in vocational missions. Perhaps. Part of our dream as a church is for God to raise up missionaries and ministry workers from within that we can support, whether that means locally or globally. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd love to talk to where God has you wrestling with a burden for missions today and explore it with you and hear what God has stirred in your heart. Because we, guys, we, we're God's plan for the nations among us and we're God's plan for the nations abroad to come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I'd love to know more about how God stirred your heart. Now, I've already said this, but remember that even when God's calling is clear, there will always be questions. There will always be things to consider and pray through, respond to, seek further wisdom on. And living a missionally oriented life and staying fully engaged and being sustained over the long haul of missions, ministry, is, is likely not going to happen free of challenges. I get that. And so I understand that uh, answering God's call requires lots of choices, maybe hundreds of them. It starts with two words. It starts with what I've already said. It starts with Yes, Lord. It starts with saying yes. Say yes to what God's Spirit places on your heart and commit to follow His call. Again, not as an emotional response to something I've said or some more polished speaker has said. Uh, not as a response to a sense of urgency because we have missionaries here today, but because you have prayed and thought and sensed and are following God's leading about giving, going, and praying for them.